Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. How can you do that? You know what? Who cares what the world thinks? There's a reason why God does this. And you know, I don't know why, because he gave them, folks. And this is something that we don't always understand. When we read a, a, a couple of verses like we're going to read here, we're going to spend a little bit of time in here, you have to understand something. And that is this people group, the Amalekites and the Canaanites, we've talked about this many times. They had been rebelling against God for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years, they were engaged in all kinds of abominable idolatries. How amazing is your love? How can I keep it from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart. Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob expounds on verses 17 through 19 in chapter 25 of the book of Deuteronomy. In these verses, God reminds the nation of Israel of the Amalekites and how they treated Israel during their time in the wilderness. God's direction to destroy the Amalekites was his way of judging them after waiting more than 430 years for them to turn their idolatry and sinful living around and follow the one true God. How thankful we should be that God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If the Lord is still waiting on you today, why wait another minute? Let today be your day to accept the free gift of salvation by turning to Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. Let's go on and look at verses 17 through 19. And this is where the command is to destroy the Amalekites. And when you think of God giving the command to destroy a people group, you've got to understand God's point of view. In our culture, this is very politically incorrect for God to do. I can't believe he did this. Very politically incorrect for him to single out. He's racially profiling. God, how can you do that? You know what? Who cares what the world thinks? There's a reason why God does this. And you know, I don't know why, because he gave them, folks. And this is something that we don't always understand. When we read a, a, a couple of verses like we're going to read here, we're going to spend a little bit of time in here. You have to understand something. And that is this people group, the Amalekites and the Canaanites, we've talked about this many times. They had been rebelling against God for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years, they were engaged in all kinds of abominable idolatries. And they knew better. They knew better. And yet they continued to do these things. And God gave them 400, at least 430 years. More time than that, actually. But all the time Israel was in Egypt, he gave them 430 years to turn from their sin, their wicked ways, but they would not. And God does have a time when he says, that's enough. I've had enough. I'm going to judge everything. And he has the right to do so. We don't like that. But we have to get over it because he's God and we're not, right? Never, never question God's, you know, his motive. 
We don't always understand God, and that's okay. It's okay to ask questions. But just understand, when you don't understand something about the Lord, something that he allows or does, it's because of our understanding is so minuscule, but his understanding is limitless. He's omniscient. He's without, he can't learn a thing because he knows everything. He knows what's coming before you do. He knows the, the, the 13th word that I'm going to speak three years from now. He could tell me right now. And I'd forget about it, and I'd say that very same word because he knows. He's so wonderful. But let's read it. Verse 17 through 19, it says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. He's speaking to the Jews, to the Israelites. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and weary. And he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance... Here it is, the bomb drops, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget this. Wow. That's a really politically incorrect statement. <laughs> but God says it because he, he means it. Now, what, what did happen? You know, we look at this event, uh, Exodus tells us, Exodus chapter 17 tells us what happened, and even in 1 Samuel chapter 15, it gives us a little more information on the method of their attack. Go with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 8 through 16. What is God talking about? Now, what I think is interesting here is in Deuteronomy, here in just these three verses that we read, God gave information here in this spot that wasn't given to us in Exodus. 17, beginning in verse 8. Let's read it. It says, Now Amalek, now remember the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt. They've been in the wilderness. They're, they're on their way. And so now Amalek came out and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, his commander of the army, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand uh, on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let it down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Now think about this. When you, have you ever tried to raise your hands like this? You're okay for about three or four minutes. We're talking about the entire day. You're going to need some help. Your face is going to start turning pale. You're weak in the knees, and you're going to start to wobble, <laughs> right? So notice what happens. Very naturally, but Moses' hands, verse 12, became heavy. So they took a stone, and they put it under him, and he sat on the stone. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on the one side and one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Notice verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book, and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And boy, God has a real, he's got a, he's got a real issue with this group of people. Because they hindered his people from coming out. Instead of coming out, and, 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 and they, they weren't there to fight. They were on their way. They were on a journey. And instead of uh, just leaving them alone, they, they, they come and they ambush them. That, isn't that what we just read here? 
They come, and when they're tired, at the end of the day, when everybody's just really dragging, they, they ambush him from behind. Have you ever been really tired and then have to have a spurt of adrenaline when you, when you have nothing left in you? God says, oh, my people were at their, at their weakest, and you attack them. And God has a plan for Amalek, and he had a plan for Amalek. But notice his, his vehemence, his, his judgment upon this group. He goes, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Let's go back in verse 19 here in Deuteronomy. Therefore, it shall be, when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess and as inheritance, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. Notice the command. Is it, is it a command or is it a suggestion? Uh, because God doesn't give a suggestion. He gives a command. He says, you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. See, that's God's command. You know, at the very least, it could be because of God's prohibition against the Canaanites, because we know that the Amalekites were, uh, ultimately, they were Canaan, uh, from the land of Canaan. They were Canaanites. And he also knew, God foreknew what was coming yet in Israel's history. And we're going to be looking at that in just a second. So the Amalekites were the descendants of Esau. You remember, and I'm just going to put up a slide here for you, and I'm just going to leave it up here for a while, and we're going to be referring to this slide. It's the only one we have tonight. But the Amalekites were descendants of Esau, who was Edom. Remember, Jacob's brother from Isaac and Rebekah. In fact, if we look at just a, a genealogy of, of from Isaac and Rebekah all the way to Amalek and beyond, we can see some pretty interesting things. We remember in Genesis chapter 25, specifically in verses 19 through 28, we see Isaac and Rebekah giving birth to twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And we also know that Esau, and we're going to look at this later, instead of marrying within the family like Jacob did, Esau decided to marry the wives of the Canaanites. And then, as a result of that, that union with a Canaanite, we're going to look at that, who she was. The result of that was a gentleman by the name of Eliphaz. And Eliphaz also had a relationship with another Canaanite woman. We'll see who she is in a few minutes. You can see it up on the screen, but we'll look at it. Her name was Timna, and she was from, um, she was a Hivite, ultimately. And you can see that Amalek was a was Esau's grandson, Esau's grandson. And Amalek is always in the Bible a type of the flesh, a type of the flesh. And so let's look at it. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 36, because we're going to see these names, these people, we're going to see how it played out in history and why it's important for us to know this today. So we're going to learn a little bit about Israel's history, and we're also going to learn a little bit of warning for ourselves. In Genesis chapter 36, let's look at the first four verses. And again, just keep this on your head. If you could turn off those spotlights, uh, Scotty, that'd be great. So verse 1 of Genesis 36. Now this is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. Notice, Esau took his wives from the daughters of Canaan. Instead of taking them from the daughters of Pedan Aram, which was Abraham's family, like he was supposed to, Esau... Out of spite, he instead, when, especially when Isaac gives the blessing to Jacob, Esau cops an attitude and decides, well, if that's the way it's going to be, I'm going to do the thing that's going to make mom and dad really angry. 
I'm not even going to marry a, a, good, a good woman from our, our, our family up in the north. I'm going to go west, and I'm going to hang out with the Canaanite women. And that's exactly what he did. So Esau, verse 2, took his wives from the daughters of Canaan, Ada, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Notice that. So she's a Hittite. And then look at verse 4. Now Ada bore Eliphaz to Esau, and we'll just stop there. So you can look up on the screen here, and you can see Esau now has a son by a Hittite woman by the name of Ada, and they give birth to Eliphaz. And then go down into verse 9 of that same chapter, and notice what it says. And this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. These were the names of Esau's sons. Notice, Eliphaz, the son of Ada, the wife of Esau. And now look down in verse 12. Now Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. And we know that this Timnah, this woman Timnah, she was a Hivite. She was a Horite, which is uh, basically a group of people that were in the land before Esau possessed that people group. Because if you think about it, there's layers to this history. Before Esau went out and conquered all that land around Edom, there was a people group already there, and they were the Horites. And so when Esau came in, they wiped out everybody. But this woman, Timnah, she was a, a Hivite, and... She was also a, a sister of a gentleman by the name of Lotan, and we don't really need to go into that, but they were um, a branch of the Hivites. So why is this significant? Turn with me to Gen- or Deuteronomy chapter 20. Remember, Eliphaz and Amalek. It wasn't bad enough that Esau took a Canaanite wife. Now you see Eliphaz himself taking Timnah, who was a Hivite. So Eliphaz's mother, she was a Hittite. And now Timnah, another Canaanite, she was a Hivite. You can look at Genesis chapter 36, verses 2 through 4 about this. this um, don't go there now, but um, you can see this. We just read it, actually, just a moment ago. Now turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. So do you see the disobedience? God told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to marry within the family and stay away from the Canaanites. Don't dwell with the Canaanites. These seven people groups, I want you to utterly destroy man, woman, child, beast, everything. I want you to level it. Scorched earth policy. Kill everything. But no, Esau thinks better of it. And out of spite of his father and his family, he goes and he marries a Canaanite woman. They have a relationship. Now they give birth to Eliphaz. Eliphaz himself has a concubine named Timnah, who's also a Hivite. And they give birth. And now they have a son named Amalek. And from Amalek, as you can see on the screen up here, came a lot of problems. Look at First Samuel chapter 15. We're going to look at the first three verses. It says, Samuel, now fast forward a couple hundred years. In history, Samuel also said to Saul, King Saul, Israel's first king, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Samuel says 
to Saul. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. God hasn't forgotten what has happened here. Now go and attack Amalek, that's a command, and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And let me just paraphrase the rest of the story. You remember what had happened, right? And this historical event, this is not a story, this is history. So they go and they attack Amalek and the people, but Saul... And the people decide, they killed mostly everybody, but they decided, well, let's just keep the king. We want to sport with him a little bit. It feeds our ego to know that we got the kingpin, and we got him scared, and he's got, we got him tied up right here. So we're going we're gonna to have a little bit of fun with him. And then we're going to take all the good livestock, because we need to eat, right? We need to sacrifice to God. has nothing to do with lamb chops. has nothing to do with filet mignon, but, you know. But anyway, so we're going to sacrifice to God. And then Samuel approaches Saul, and he says, what's this bleeding of the sheep that I hear, Saul? He's like, well, I, I did the commandment of the Lord. He says, no, you didn't. You did half the commandment of the Lord. Thus, you didn't do the commandment of the Lord. And God pronounced judgment upon that, right? He pronounced judgment upon it. And they didn't kill Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites. Saul didn't, but Samuel did. Samuel killed him. But we understand that there were more Amalekites that we weren't aware of, that were still left to live. And then now let's fast forward a little bit of time. Not too much time, but in 1 Samuel chapter 30, Samuel, in fact, let's, um, we can go there. Let's look at the first eight verses. 1 Samuel chapter 30. It says... Now, I'm building up to something because I want to show you the results of disobedience. So some time goes by. David's still on the run. He hasn't assumed the kingship yet because Saul is still hunting him. So it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites noticed. So they weren't all gone. There were still some left. The Amalekites, they invaded the south at Zik- and Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire, had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but they carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. And then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices, and they wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken away captive. And now David was greatly distressed for the people, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, and every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And so David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop, these Amalekites? Shall I overtake them? And you know what I love about that? David knew the word of God. He knew that God had this thing with the Amalekites. David knew. He read Deuteronomy, what we read tonight. He knew that scripture. But notice, he didn't presume anything. 
And I love that about David. He wasn't presumptuous. He had his issues, just like we all do, but he went to the Lord, notice. Even though he knew the will of God, smartly he went to the Lord and says, Shall I pursue this troop? Not presuming anything. Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall overtake them, and without fail recover all. And so he does, and they do recover all. And it's a wonderful day, but the Amalekites still are on the move. Now fast forward several hundreds of years now. After the Babylonian captivity, and after Babylon and the Nebuchadnezzar, they fade from the scene, and now media is on the, you know, the, the Babylonians were succeeded by the Medes and the Persians, and that was around the time of Esther. And you'll re- recall in Esther that Haman was a big player in that time period. He was the antagonist, really. He hated the Jews. He was in a very high rank in Xerxes' sphere of influence, a very high-ranking officer, very close to the king. And we find out in Esther chapter 3, verse 1, that he was an Agagite. What is an Agagite? An Agagite is someone who has descended from Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Agag. And there's good reason to believe that because he's an Agagite, he was of the royal line of Agag. And do you think he knew the history? You better believe he did. Do you think that stirred up the anger and the jealousy and the the hatred? And certainly the devil is inspiring this man to exterminate and wipe out this whole group of people, the Jews. That was his intention. He already had a a bitter hatred. It went back hundreds of years. And now Satan goes, oh, I got somebody in the great place now. And he uses this man, and he nearly exterminates the Jews. But notice, he is a descendant from Amalek. He's from Agag. And so, Haman was the the enemy of the Jews. And you remember that God raised up Esther at the right time for such a time as this. You know, whatever the devil has in plan, have you ever, anybody know, know how to play chess in the room? If you've never learned how to play chess, it's a wonderful game. I love playing chess. And, but one of the things I think is I think of how the devil is doing these pieces, he's moving these pieces on the board, and God all along is going, before you're started, it's already checkmate. And the devil's going, oh, yeah? And God's like, well, of course. Who do you think I am? Much better than Kasparov. I know the move you're going to make. I've already anticipated it. I've already got something in motion, devil, that you have never seen. You, don't even, you can't even comprehend it. You know why? Because you're not omniscient like I am, God says. I alone am omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. You don't have those three qualities. God alone has those qualities. But why do I bring this up? Because if you think of it, Haman, his existence is the result of disobedience by at least four people. By Esau, because he married a Canaanite woman. Do you think your decision that you make today isn't going to have future ramifications? Oh, they do. And I'm so glad that when I make a mistake, I, don't, I can't see the full end of what's going to happen. Sometimes my sin that I commit is something with inside of myself, and hopefully it doesn't manifest itself in a physical way. It's just something in my heart. But there's a, a, a consequence for that, 
the lack of desire for God, the lack of wanting to be in his word because sin has tainted my heart. I, don't, I no longer want to be around other people because I'm ashamed of what I'm thinking or what I'm doing or what I'm thinking about in my head. But there's some sins that when they are out there in the physical, they do have ramifications. And this is a really good example. Because now... Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.